morning and also to those of you joining us on the online live stream worship service. Good morning, welcome. Today, uh, Pastor Bihi very excited because of the relaxation of measures. We even want to sing out loud, right? <clears throat> I'm sure many of us are very happy as well. We can finally you know, meet up with uh, more people. We really thank God for this <clears throat> uh, relaxation of measures. Uh, but I prepared this sermon without knowing whether the, the measures will be relaxed or not. And it's not an easy uh, sermon topic to address <clears throat> when God seems silent. And certainly uh, the book that I'm preaching from is not an easy book to preach from and it's a very difficult book from the book of Job. <clears throat> Most of us, you know, we don't really like uh, the book of Job. So I think we better pray first uh, before <laughs> anything goes further and then ask the Lord to help us. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. Even though it is a very difficult book, Holy Spirit, you still inspire this word. And so, Father, we pray, hide the preacher behind the cross. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts truly be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, the book of Job is not a book that most people really like because it seems to depict meaningless suffering. Meaningless suffering. You see, Job was happily living his life when one day, one disaster after another strikes him, right? So it's quite a terrible uh, situation to be found in. And then the ending of the book also isn't very comforting. If you've read this book before, I mean, so what if you get another seven sons and three daughters? That's how the book ends, right? But as a parent, you know that every child is unique and precious. Yeah, you may have other children born, you know, to comfort you. But it's not really the same because every child is unique. So all these sons and daughters that they were lost, they are irreplaceable. So people are not things that you can easily replace. So while there is some kind of restoration at the end, it may not exactly be the kind of full restoration, right? What makes this book also quite difficult to read is the seemingly endless conversations, the discourse between Job and his three friends. Job's friends basically accuse Job of sin, while Job persistently maintains his innocence. And so this goes, exchange goes back and forth for a long time. I mean, we kind of know that his friends are not very helpful, right? And Job is, of course, right to maintain his innocence. But come on, do you need 35 chapters to talk about this? Why can't you just jump straight to the end? But perhaps the two parts of the book which are hardest to accept is this. First of all, God was the one who seemingly set Job up for this situation. He was the one who so-called recommended Job to Satan in the first place. When Satan came to report, right, God said, Have you considered my servant Job? What <laughs> oh, arrow! And then, secondly, Job doesn't get a satisfactory answer to his suffering in the end. Despite asking all the questions, he doesn't get his question fully answered. And worse, he had to repent before God. So it's like double whammy. First, I was set up by God. God, you arrow me. Then, after that, when you answer me, I still have to repent before you. What kind of justice is that? There is a Singaporean phrase, I think, which best captures how Job might have felt. It is this, bully kachiu. Ita chi xiao. Oh, the big guy bullies the small fellow over here. <laughs> is it fair? And I think that's how most of us would feel if you're in Job's uh, shoe. That's why I suspect most People wouldn't like this book. But I like this book not because I ever want to be in Job's shoes or pray for this, you know, to happen on anyone, but simply because the way the book is written is so intriguing. So intriguing. 
There's just so much we don't understand. For those of you who don't know me so well, I have this naturally inquisitive mind. I will naturally choose to watch a suspense and thriller movie or show versus something that is very lovey-dovey. So when I watch K-drama, shows like Descendants of the Sun, oh, painful. How come this song, song, you all like this? Uh, not very fun for me to watch. I know some of you different people different like different genres, but for me, those are not the kind of shows I like to watch. I like to watch <clears throat> K-dramas like Signal, Vicencio, whoa, a lot of twists and turn, a lot of suspense. And so the book of Job intrigues me because there's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of drama, things that I don't really fully understand. I pray that, you know, one day when I, have the, let, when I have the opportunity to let go of the burdens of leadership, I can study this book more deeply and then teach <clears throat> more fully. But for today, I just want to focus on the passage somewhere in the middle of the book of Job. Right? It's from Job chapter 23. Beginning at verse 8, most of Job's laments, even though they talk a lot, may be categorized into you know, similar uh, themes. So I thought these this few verses will be good enough to get a sufficient glimpse into his train of thought. So reading from Job chapter 23, verse 8, this is what Job complains. If I go to the east, he is not there. The he here refers to God. God is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I get I catch no glimpse of him. So essentially, Job is saying, Hey, look, wherever I go, I don't even find God there. And then, verse 10, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Verse 13, but he, God, stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He he carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Did we really mean what we say? Thanks be to God. (laughs) Do we thank God for a book like Job? Hopefully by the end of the sermon, we can really say, you know, honestly and genuinely, thanks be to God for this book. <clears throat> now, just in this few verses I've read, there are basically three themes, three movements. First of all, Job longs to stand before God to, you know, stick up his own case and plead his innocence. So if you read Job chapter 23, the earlier verses, which I didn't read out to us, basically Job is trying to say, look, God, why don't you just appear before me? Then I can tell you exactly what I'm saying. Let me argue my case before you. But unfortunately, he says he cannot find God anywhere. Those are verses 8 to 9. Then verses 10 to 11, Job justifies his righteousness. So again, this theme, you'll find it throughout his conversations with his friends. He was essentially, you know, always rebutting his friends. Look, you guys accuse me of wrong. But I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. I've closely followed God's ways. I've always treasured God's words. In fact, Job was so confident of his faith and his righteousness, he says in verse 10, When God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. How many of us dare to make a statement like that? But not Job. Job was so confident of his righteousness. But that, despite saying he's innocent, Job descends into some kind of theistic fatalism in verses 13 to 14. What can I do if God is against me? What can I do if God is against me? In Singaporean lingo, let me try to paraphrase what verses 13 to 14 is saying. God is God law. Oh, he's the all-powerful one. Eh? 
Isuka, he does whatever he wants. What can I do? He already kana me. What else? Then he will kana me more. I kana some more. So essentially, that's what Job is complaining about in verses 13 to 14. He does whatever he pleases. He's not praising God, no. You don't think this phrase is praising God. He carries out his decrees against me and many such plans he still has in store. Wow. Can you imagine what Job was thinking? I really don't know what God is thinking. Huh? He's going to give me some more of this nonsense. And so that's how Job uh, felt at the time. <clears throat> now, before we start condemning Job, you know, say, how can you talk to God like that? And then we become like his three friends who actually are not very helpful. You know, basically they have argue, argued against Job. Job, you have sinned, therefore you are suffering. That's basically what the Job's friends were saying all the time. You have sinned, therefore you are suffering. Now, before we become like Job's friends and we quote Bible verses like, no one is righteous. No one absolutely is righteous. We don't want to quote this scripture towards Job. So let's try to step back, or rather step into Job's shoes for a while here. Think about the times you're suffering, in pain, in question. Don't we often feel like Job? The three themes here. First of all, we feel abandoned by God. When we are suffering, we wonder to ourselves, where on earth are you, God? Philip Yancey wrote this famous book, Where are you, God, when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? And so, like Job, we often question God's presence, or rather, we question God's absence. God, where are you? Why is this thing happening to me? Why can't I feel you, especially when I'm going through this valley? Second, we may feel unjustified by what's happening. Why is this bad situation happening to me? And so we begin to question God's nature. We begin to question God's intentions. God, you know I have followed you to the best of my ability. I have tried to be a faithful Christian. Why didn't you protect me? Why did the cancer relapse? Why didn't the treatment work? Why am I retrenched? And God, if you are so good, why do you allow these bad things to happen? At times, we may even go further. Like Job, we may feel even attacked and assaulted by God. Most Christians, generally, we try not to cross this line, but not Job. Job is so honest. He says, God, are you sure you are good? I feel like your plans for me are worse. They are not to prosper me. They are to harm me. And so we question God's ways. These are the questions that we have typically when we go through a difficult season, especially seasons when we feel that God is silent. Now, we are going to move into a celebratory season uh, next in the church calendar, the season of Advent. We, many of us like Christmas. But let's not forget, before the season of Advent, actually, <clears throat> in the Old Testament and New Testament, between these testaments, there were 400 years of silence before good news came in the form of Jesus Christ. God was so-called silent for 400 years. And so how do we wrestle, you know, deal with the issues in life when God seems silent? Well, actually, the answers lie brilliantly in how this book is written. Remember, I was complaining earlier why you need 35 chapters, you know, for this conversation between Job's three friends, uh, Job himself, and then Elihu. He, God could have easily answered Job straight away. And so really, here's the first lesson for today. The 35 chapters are there for a theological reason. Now, let's think about this. All scripture is God-breath, Correct? We know this, right? All scripture is breath is breathed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that means 
the Holy Spirit also inspired these 35 long winding chapters. Okay? So if all scripture is God's breath, breathed by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that means these 35 chapters are also inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that means that actually God was present, not as the active party speaking those words, but he was present as the silent party in this seemingly endless and unhelpful conversations between Job and his friends. And so God may seem silent in these long 35 chapters, but the reality is God was never absent. God may seem silent, but he is never absent. And so that is the first lesson and reminder for us today. God is not unaware and he is not far removed from our suffering. Now again, the way the book of Job is written tells us this. The opening two chapters are very important because they reveal a perspective that Job never had. We, as readers, we have this privilege. We know what's happening in the heavenly scenes, but not Job. Job had absolutely no idea of this opening two chapters, what was going on in the heavenly courts. And so these opening chapters reveal God as the sovereign one. God is the one who is truly sovereign, so much so that even Satan has to come and report to God all God he has been doing. He had to ask permission too, if you read the book, he had to ask permission how much pain he can inflict on Job. And so this tells us that God is fully aware of what's happening in Job's life. God is not unaware at all. And so God is not ignorant as well of our suffering. He is not ignorant of the pains that we go through. And again, the way the book is written has this poetic contrast, so ironic but so powerful. You see, Job's friends spoke too much, too soon. Initially, they were sitting with him seven days, wonderful counsellor, wonderful comforter, nothing wrong. But once they started speaking, it all went downhill. Spoke too much, too soon. And so these 35 chapters actually serve as a contrast. God is saying, look, unlike your friends, I was the one patiently sitting with you in your pain. I'm not going to say much. I'm just going to go through with you in this journey. So friends, first lesson, don't mistake God's silence for his absence. Don't mistake God's silence for his absence. We are probably very familiar with the footprints in the sand parable, right? When we look back in our lives and we see only one set of footprints and we have questions, God, why do you abandon us in our darkest time? And God's answer was, it is precisely in those dark times that I carried you. So that's lesson number one. The second lesson for today is that God's ways are higher. God's ways are higher. Well, we may begrudgingly acknowledge, at least in our head, God was never absent. But it continues you know, to behoove us why God would allow His beloved servant to go through this suffering. Again, it was God who suggested to Satan in the first place, Have you considered my servant Job? Chapter 1, verse 8. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. See, God is the one who first sabo, so-called sabo, right? Job. There is no easy answer here. But again, the way the book is written, the way the book is written does suggest a possible answer that tells us that God's ways are higher. When Job first opened his mouth, 
With many words, he cursed the day of his birth. You can refer to your own Bibles, right? Job chapter 3. I won't be reading through. You can read it for yourself. Job chapter 3. Essentially, he said a lot about <clears throat> the day of his birth. He cursed it a lot. But the kind of cursing was, let that day be darkness. Somehow, the theme of darkness was overwhelming in Job's first complaint about the day of his birth. And who can blame him, right? I wish I was never born. Ah, yeah, let that day be cursed. Because he's suffering right now. Why do you bring me onto earth to suffer? Let that day be cursed. Let that day be darkness. Interestingly, when God first replied Job, his answer, his question was, who is he that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Chapter 38, verse 2. So the same theme, the same word darkness, darken, was used. And this means not only does it show that God heard every single word that Job complained from the very beginning, but it also shows us that his ways are superior and higher. Let me explain. Because you see, this is what Job was saying. Okay, Job, you caught darkness right upon the day of your birth. So let me now, God, show you what was truly dark from the beginning of the birth of the planet. Where were you, Job, when the foundations of the earth were laid? Who shut in the seas when it burst forth from the darkness of the womb? Have you ever walked in the recesses of the deep and seen the gates of deep darkness? You can read for yourself, Job chapter 38. Same theme. Job was complaining, ah, let my day of my birth be dark. And God says, okay, you think that is dark? Let me show you what is really dark. How my ways and my knowledge are far superior. When the earth was first formed, that was truly dark. Another indication that God heard Job's lament right from the start is found in chapter 3, verse 8, and also then in later on, chapter 41. Job mentions this creature, this mythical creature, Leviathan, in, his, in passing in his complaint. God replies with a full chapter. <laughs> okay, I, uh, Leviathan, he mentioned it. Then God says, okay, do you mention this creature? Let me describe to you this creature. I'm going to give you one whole chapter of description of Leviathan. Don't try to make sense of who this mythical or awesome creature is. I think that is really irrelevant to the point. The point that God is making, again, is similar to the point of darkness. Look, Job, do you really know what you're saying? You mentioned this creature, but you can't even comprehend the magnitude and the awesomeness of this creature. Whereas I can, I can give you a full description of this creature. I am God. I am far superior than you. I know what this creature is capable of. Do you truly know? So all these, right, God's answers are God's ways to tell Job, look, my ways are higher, far superior than what you can ever think, imagine, or comprehend. President Stanley reminded us last week, God has a plan. God has a plan. What human beings did in Joseph's case, right, <clears throat> you know, to sell him to Egypt, but God has a plan to redeem. In this case, Satan intended something evil as well, but God intended it for good. This is the consistent message throughout the Bible. Whatever evil has been intended, whoever the evil is intended by, whether it's by human beings or by Satan, the result is that God has intended it for good. God has a plan. What is required on our part is simply to trust in Him. And maybe it's important also that we keep praying God, help us to trust in you, even when we don't understand. Especially maybe when we don't understand. 
Billy and see in another book, <coughs> Prayer, does it make any difference? He shares the prayer of a certain man called Isaac from Singapore. And this prayer was composed after the tsunami in 2004. Now we are so myopic because we always think about COVID, but we forget that actually in 2004 there was a terrible disaster, the tsunamis hit. And so this prayer was composed, and this is what Isaac wrote. <coughs> God, we cry for the victims, even more so for those who do not believe in your name. Have mercy on us all. Surely it pains our hearts to see people suffer greatly in this tsunami. Sometimes it makes us wonder if you care at all. I know you did not punish us because of our sins, for you came to save sinners. We know you love us, for you came to die on our behalf. But why do you choose to be silent now? Why was the world made imperfect with so many fault lines lying underneath it? It could not be our doing that caused these fault lines, could it? Does it pain your heart to see families separated, young lives taken and wasted? We know a pot cannot question a potter. We know you have the truth, and who can we turn to but you? But we cannot help but think that if a man can forgive and love his enemy, how can the author of our love let those who do not believe in him perish? Forgive us for questioning your love. We question because we believe you are love, and we seek explanations for the bad that happened. We know our questions may not be answered on earth, we just pray that you will continue to keep our faith in you alive. Amen. So that's the prayer that was written after the tsunami. And certainly I think we can all identify with Isaac who composed this prayer. It's not easy to have faith in God in the midst of unexplained tragedies, whether it's in the case of the tsunami or in our own lives. Why did this thing happen? Yet we know that the main reason Job was commended in the first place was because he never charged God with wrongdoing. He never accused God of doing harm. His faith in God was steadfast. He simply declared in Job chapter 1, verse 21, The Lord gives, the Lord takes, or the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. When Job acknowledged God's sovereignty, despite his lack of understanding, that's when Job was commended. He didn't charge God with wrongdoing. Even then, Job still needed to learn a lesson, to learn how to recognize God's superiority of his thoughts and his ways. His reply in Job chapter 42, verse 3 confirms this. Job repeats God's original question back to him. Remember, Job cursed the day of his birth with darkness, and then God's question to him was, Who is this who darkens knowledge without my counsel? Job's first response to God was, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Surely things too wonderful for me to know. And then that's when God says, Okay, very good. <laughs> he commands Job again and then restores him subsequently. So for those of us suffering right now, I hope today's message will inspire and continue to encourage you to cling on to God, to your faith in God. Yes, it may not really solve the situation, it may not soothe your pain even, but maybe seeing things from another perspective will help. How God's ways are higher. And 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 gives us a glimpse into how God sees things differently from us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this, No temptation, and the Greek word temptation can also mean testing, 
No temptation or testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So this verse basically implies a very powerful truth. That if God allows a certain trial to come upon us, that means He knows we can handle it. Let me say that again. If God allows a certain trial to come upon our lives, that means He knows that we can handle it. In the same way, if God allows a certain temptation into our lives, and the scripture tells us God does not tempt anyone, He believes that we can overcome those temptations. It is simply wrong to succumb to temptations, to think to ourselves, we are weak, we cannot help it. No. All scripture basically tells us, look, with the Spirit of God in us, especially in New Testament believers, you can handle it. If God allows the situation to come into your lives, He knows that you can handle it. But at the same time, God wants to stretch our understanding, our faith in Him. Job was blameless, upright, but still he can grow in his understanding of who God is. So look again at how the book of Job begins. It's God who set Job up, you know, so-called from our point of view, Sabo, right? But from God's point of view, it's not Sabo. It is setting him up for even greater things to come. God will not set Job up to fail and to fall. If we ever have this conception of God, misconception, let's get rid of it. That's not the Father's intention at all. His intentions for us are always good. We may not understand His ways because His ways are higher. We know His heart. His intention is always good. And again, God made it very clear in His Scripture. He says of Job, He is a blameless and upright character. That's how God classified and labelled Job. He's a good man, essentially. And so, the only logical reason, so-called, that God will set Job up is precisely because He knows that Job can pass the test. And He wants Job to pass the test. So remember this, you may not understand it, but if God allows a certain situation to come, enables you, He under, lets you undergo a trial, it's because He believes in you. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. And so, for example, if you can only bear a 5 kg load, He will not give you a 20 kg load and crush you. That is never God's heart. If He's going to give you a 20 kg load, He means He knows that you can handle that 20 kg load. And if not, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the Father's heart is always good. So that's the second lesson. We may not understand it, but let's accept this reality that God's ways are higher and better. The third lesson from the book of Job basically is this. Bad things can happen to good people. Bad things can happen to good people. Now, when I say this, some of us straight away think to ourselves, cannot be. <laughs> we don't subscribe to this train of thought. Whether we come from non-Christian backgrounds or not, you know, the belief that many of us hold on to subconsciously is this. A good person will deserve good things. A bad person will deserve bad things. That's justice. Right? And it's not necessarily wrong or unbiblical. In fact, the Bible also advocates this principle of reaping and then sowing. Galatians chapter 6, God is not mocked. We will reap whatever we sow. So there is this principle as well. You do good, you will receive good. You do bad, you receive bad. Generally, that's true too. But there is also this tension we must learn to grow and hold on to. That bad things can happen to good people. Yeah, we kind of like the equation one way. If I'm bad, 
and God is good to me, wow, that's grace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We love it very much. But if we are good and bad things happen to us, we reject this equation. Ugh, I reject it in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? That's basically how we are trained. You know, that's the subconscious mind at work. But I want to tell us that at least in the Bible, there are at least three biblical examples of bad things happening to perfectly good people. Of course, we won't place ourselves in this category, but in the Bible, there are three perfectly good people, at least, maybe more, and yet they suffered badly. The first, of course, is Job. Right? He was righteous and upright. In fact, not just in the book of Job, chapter 1, it is also mentioned by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, and God says this, you can read it for yourself. Jerusalem will not be spared, the punishment to come because they have gone into idolatry and all kinds of nonsense. And then in Ezekiel chapter 14, it's repeated several times. God specifically says, even if Daniel, Job, and Noah, these three righteous men were there, they will only deliver themselves. But Jerusalem will still be wiped out. And so, second time in the Bible, Job is commended for his faithfulness, his righteousness. He did nothing wrong and even God acknowledged that. And yet we know the kind of suffering he went through. The second example of someone righteous from birth, even before birth, and suffered a horrible fate was John the Baptist. Zechariah, his father, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15 says, you know, the Holy Spirit said, the angel said, John the son, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Can you imagine that? Even before he is born, this boy is destined to be upright and righteous. But in the end, we know what happened to John the Baptist. He was beheaded. <laughs> he was perfectly good, and yet he was beheaded. Third example, of course, needless to say, is Jesus himself. The perfect sinless man suffered greatly because of our sins. And so in all three cases, horrible, bad things happened to them, even though they were perfectly good. And so, if this is the case, we may not like it, but we should learn to start accepting the possibility that bad things can happen to good people for no good reason, so-called, from our perspective at all, even if we did not do anything wrong. And in my spirit, I sense this is the message that some of you need to hear. Stop blaming yourselves for some of the sufferings you are undergoing, that you are going through. Stop blaming yourselves. You see, sometimes the sickness that we are suffering may not be the result of our sin. Sometimes, yes, you know, you don't watch your diet, you have certain health conditions, you don't exercise, you have certain health conditions. Yeah, of course, we know that. But there are many times it's not related at all. We didn't do anything wrong, and yet the disaster has come upon us. So stop blaming ourselves for what has happened. I think that's important. Stop blaming ourselves for everything that has happened. Some of us may also blame ourselves for how our family members are suffering. Maybe we are not the ones suffering, but our family members are suffering and we think to ourselves, it's because I've done this wrong thing, that's why God is judging me, and stuff like that. Maybe Job felt that way too. If you read the book of Job, he actually offered prayers to God on behalf of his children on a daily basis. He was thinking to himself, maybe they, my children did something wrong, so let me offer prayers on their behalf. Maybe Job blamed himself too for not praying hard enough. And so that's why you no know, disaster came upon his children. But as we learn from the book of Job, it had nothing to do with the children's sin. It had nothing to do with his own sin at all. 
And so if that's us, we feel the same way, we take upon this guilt upon ourselves that I have failed, that's why this thing happened, I didn't do well, that's why that thing happened. Today's message is simply, let God take your guilt and shame. Stop blaming ourselves for certain things. A lot of things actually, if you think about it, are not within our control. That's it. In fact, if anything, the book of Job declares a country a message to what many of us typically hold in life, which is, I've seen, therefore, this happened, that happened. I've seen, that's why these things happened. Again, that may be true in certain cases, but the book of Job clearly teaches us that bad things can happen to good people. Who stop? That's it. And so if we are blaming ourselves for things not within our control, stop. Stop doing that. In fact, let me go further. If we want to be serious in our discipleship journey of following Christ, we need to accept this reality, that bad things happen to good people. And as Christians, bad things will certainly follow us simply because of the fact that we are Christians. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11-12, to 12, Blessed are you when people insult you. <laughs> what kind of blessing is that? <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, you know persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of him, because of me. You didn't even do anything except confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, Yet rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so as Christians, not only should we accept the fact that bad things can happen to good people, for God's good, you know, mysterious purposes, you know, making us go through trial to, to you know, purify us, to refine us. But as Christians, we should expect this dimension of suffering too, of persecution, simply because we are Christians. You see, there's not just human persecution. When Jesus thought about this, it wasn't just human persecution. The book of Job also tells us there is an adversary, there is a spiritual force, evil to contend with. And the scripture also tells us Satan is like a prowling lion going about to seek who he may devour. And so we have persecution not just from a human level, but we have a spiritual enemy as well. And so these are the reasons, possible reasons, why sometimes bad things happen to good people. Let me now summarize. So I trust today's sermon teaches us that when God seems silent, first of all, let's remember, God is not unaware. And he is not far removed from our suffering. He knows exactly what's happening. It's just that we, from Job's point of view, we don't know what's happening in the heavenly courts. What kind of conversation is going on there? We don't know, but God knows fully what's happening. Secondly, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We may not understand, but let's continue to pray for faith to trust in him. And third, while bad things do happen to good people, and we should not always blame ourselves, Yet, at the same time, we should expect some kind of persecution and spiritual attack simply because we are children of God. But we also trust, really, that God will vindicate and restore us. If there's a fourth message that I can sneak in for today, it is this. There will come an end to all the suffering one day. God will one day restore and vindicate us, just like how he eventually restores to Job all that Satan has robbed from him. It is Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy the Son of Man came that we may have life, life eternal. Of course, in our suffering, when pain is very acute, we become myopic, we think only of our own sufferings, and so we question God's intentions, His presence, His ways. 
But if we can just step back and see the bigger picture which this book of Job provides us, we will see that while God's ways does remain a mystery at times, He doesn't fully explain to Job everything, we can be sure that God is neither absent or nonchalant. God is not a God who doesn't care about us. We may not understand fully how He works, and that's because He's God, but we can be confident of the nature, of the goodness, the character of God. The whole Bible really is a revelation of God's nature and character. That's the whole purpose of the Bible, to reveal who God is. Right? And it tells us that God is good, He is faithful, He does not change. And so He understands, empathizes with our pain. The communion table, every time we come to the communion table, is a reminder that God empathizes with our pain. He suffered as an innocent man, pure, blameless. God Himself took on our pain. Second, the communion table also reminds us, as we have seen in the book of Job as well, God does not determine evil for us. Yes, He allows us to go through trials, but He does not determine evil for us. In Him, there is no darkness at all. He also reminds us what Satan has intended for evil and brought from us, God will one day restore. This suffering that we go through, let's continue to trust in God who has a plan. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. It's a difficult book, but we thank you that this book of Job is included in the scriptures for our learning, for encouragement, importantly, for edification, that we might become more and more like Christ. Our Lord Jesus, who suffered even though he did nothing wrong. So, Father, we pray you give us a new mind, a renewed mind in Christ. Help us to cheerfully accept all things that come from you, knowing that, Father, you are good. For, Lord, you have demonstrated your love for us and your Son, Jesus Christ, above all. So, Lord, whatever our circumstances may be, the questions that we may have, Lord, we pray, you give us the faith to continue to trust and to believe in you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.